Hello and welcome to the Green Book Commentaries. I'm Dr. Arthur Plessa. Episode 32, Sound, Sight, and Subluxation. Doctors of chiropractic and students of the same. We're back for another insightful and interesting episode. Last time, we detailed BJ's technique during the early development of the electroencephalo neuromentympograph. We discussed all the strenuous labor that BJ and his team went through in order to secure an accurate reading. Remember the grounding of all electrical wires, which was not standard practice in those days, in order to eliminate electrical leakage? Remember the iron-shielded room which eliminated Hertzian, electrical, radio, and north and south pole magnetic waves? which also interfered with acquiring a true reading of patient's nervous system. Remember how sensitive the tempograph was and that it actually registered the minute tickings from one of the doctor's wristwatches? The tempograph can be compared to an electroencephalograph machine. It detected the electrophysiology of the brain, spinal cord nerve roots at the IVF, and out to the peripheral nerves. <clears throat> While I've heard chiropractors make the claim that the tempograph is the predecessor to the EEG, well, it's not. The EEG was invented in 1924 by German physiologist Hans Berger. Sorry, BJ, as usual, the Germans discovered it first. However, much to BJ's credit, he would develop the instrument's technique by eliminating its numerous variables and refining it to only the measurement of nerve energy. That's so much more than we can say for Berger and the pioneers of the EEG, who didn't ground their equipment nor isolate the patient in a shielded room. In other words, BJ was setting the standards and technique when medical men were just learning about the use of this new instrument. <clears throat> now, before we continue, I'd like to take a moment and correct myself on a statement I made about the tempograph in a previous episode. I had mistakenly said that it measured vibrations. Correction, it measures electric potential, like an EEG does. I had been reading on Nikola Tesla that week and how a big focus of his scientific research was, it was into energy and the frequency and vibration of it. I don't know how my mind slipped, but there you have it. The electroencephalo neuromentympograph measured electric potential using electrodes to the patient's skin at the following areas. One, the sides of the head. Two, the tip of atlas transverse process bilaterally, three, the tip of atlas transverse process and the tip of axis spinous process, four, spinal nerve root at any IVF bilaterally, five, above and below the knee unilateral. This allowed for accurate energy quantity to be measured starting at its source in the brain then through upper cervical area, followed by its spinal exit at the IVF, 
and finally out to any desired body part. Some of my technique-orientated chiropractic colleagues have recently emailed me asking when we're going to get into the chiropractic adjustment, hearing of BJ's sickest of the sick patients get well. All that with only adjusting one vertebra. Well, first off, where's your volume 25? As of this episode's end, we will be on page 288. Clinic cases, adjustments, and pattern analysis only start at page 358, so we have a few episodes to go. Remember that BJ is developing his case for chiropractic being scientific. This means that he needed to know that he knew that what he was researching was removed of any variables and deduced down to its most specific state. The chiropractic analysis, as handed down to us by BJ and his team, is the single most researched method and highly reproducible when exacting measures are followed to a letter. Remember what BJ said earlier in that with the research clinic, he was going scientific with a vengeance in order to bring medical criticism under heel. We continue our reading in volume 25, page 275. This then was our manner of approach to solve that problem. On each case of each weekday's check records, we took two different kinds of records, one with lights on, one with lights off. By comparison, we now had a record before us of A, the same case, B, the same day, C, under same circumstances, D, without altering the constants of then and there. The lights on and off became a variable especially manufactured to see if the, if the variable was a variable. After an exhaustive seri- series of posting these graph records on comparison board, we were able to determine whether lights on did make a difference. Many graph wave patterns were taken of same case of many cases proceeding and following with lights on and lights off. Graph pattern being continuous, accurate study and comparisons were possible to see actual difference, if any, made by this series of tests. These tests were illuminating to extent that they proved one point. When lights were on, a certain relative degree of vibration of visibility would enter eyes, go to brain, be interpreted as light, and thus raise graph wave pattern to an extent that this function added itself and superimposed itself to and upon regular pattern. And when lights were off, that certain relative degree of vibration of visibility did not enter eyes did not go to brain, was not interpreted as such, and thus did not raise graph wave pattern. Therefore, nothing was superimposed to and upon regular pattern. Graph wave patterns in both instances, lights on and lights off, were the same, not changing in any broad or narrow particulars, except that one was heightened slightly with lights on and other was lowered slightly with lights off.
In both instances, graph wave patterns maintained consistently, case after case, week after week, their regular pathological pattern, not changing in any particular because of lights on or off. Point by point, we are including or excluding certain refined points of technique. This being an entirely new field of research, never so exhaustively or practically applied before, we find no previous information upon which to determine rules of application. We must do the work to find whether it is vital to include or exclude certain things. In electrocardiograph work, we found it vital that patient lie down and relax at least 15 minutes before making record. In polygraph criminal lie detector test work, we insist upon necessity of placing suspect at rest not less than 15 minutes before making tests to prove his innocence or guilt. The, till this date, 1937. We have not insisted upon a potential 15-minute rest period before making the electroencephalo-neuromantempograph record. As a test only, we are substituting an airfield cushion for patient to rest on, placed on rest table upon which patient lies, believing that hard table is not as condu conducive to complete relaxation. Airfield cushion should produce or induce more relaxation than harder table without air-filled cushion. It would be interesting to note what changes, if any, we will note in records. People, generally, are afraid to confess error, admit a mistake, admit a wrong method or system, and try a new one. They think that to do so is an admission of weakness, poor judgment, and failure. Grant that error is weakness, mistake is poor judgment, wrong method is failure. How is one to produce strength, good judgment, and success any other way than to use them as a step upward? Admit, forget, bury, and march on. There is no other way to greater accomplishment. All this is a prelude to what follows. Since we began electroencephalo-neuromantempograph research, we have been following more or less a routine of location of pickup electrodes. Let us repeat it. Head electrodes placement. A. Left of head. B. Right of head. Atlas electrodes placement. A. Left of transverse process tip. B. Right of transverse process tip. Or, if above was impossible, this. A. On left or right atlas transverse tip. B. On spinous tip of axis. Vertebral electrodes, dorsal or lumbar. A. Left of vertebra at emission of spinal nerve. B. Right of vertebra at emission of spinal nerve. Two being on opposite sides of each other and on two different nerves. Leg electrodes. A. Above knee. B. Below knee of same leg. A and B electrodes constituted what we thought were a pair in and to complete a circuit. Has this been the right method, correct avenue of approach to secure what we were seeking? That depends upon what we were seeking. 
the brain and all the brain manufactures enough energy for body and all the body. Each part of brain has a direct connection with each part of body. Liver lobe of brain manufactures energy for liver organ of body. So does each tissue cell of brain manufacture energy for each tissue cell of body. Between brain and body is spinal cord, which branches into spinal nerves, which finally ramify so minutely that they form a complete and direct connection between brain cell and tissue cell, called efferent nervous system. Between body and brain are multitudinous, minute nerve fibers, which gather into bundles, bundles into spinal nerves, spinal nerves into spinal cord, spinal cord back into and, as they segregate, become brain itself, which then branch to various lobes, gyri, and convolutions called afferent system. This system, gathering and distribution between brain to body and body to brain, constitute a series of brain nerve circuits, efferent and afferent, through which flows a continuity of energy manufactured in brain and expressed in body, impression and sensation returning to afferent half. If there is continuity of brain and nerve in this circuit, and if there is continuity normal quantity flow of energy through brain and nerve in this circuit, there will be continuity of function at periphery of nerve and continuity of sensation at epiphery of brain, a condition called health. This ease begins and grows if continuity of energy is interfered with between brain and body or body and brain. What we desired to, know, to do with electroencephalo neuromintipograph research was to study normal or abnormal continuity, quantity flow, of energy between brain and body, in and through brain to body, body to brain series of circuits. Have we ascertained this information in our location of placements as stated above? Isn't our fundamental to check on mental impulse nerve flow carrier wave? in a circuit between electrodes A and B. Is there a better method of placement? Obviously, to place A of one circuit of electrodes on one spinal nerve on left of vertebra, and B of same circuit of electrodes on another spinal nerve on right of same vertebra, was placing two electrodes on two circuits of two nerves, and was securing no single circuit information from one brain-nerve-body circuit. To admit there may be a better way of circuit placement is to secure more information, more accurate and reliable data, and secure more efficiently that information we need to know to reach more secure, secure foundation. That which we have secured information of unquestioned value in the past is obvious. Beginning as of November 5, 1937, following electrode circuit placement change took place. Head electrode placement, same as before. Atlas, atlas electrodes placement, A on left or right transverse process tip, B on head. Vertebral electrodes, dorsal or lumbar placement, A on localized spot on head, B on left 
or right of vertebra at emission of spinal nerve to organ as major involved. Inasmuch as comparisons are what is desired, we take circuit readings from both sides of head to opposite sides of vertebra in question. If what we desire is a heart circuit test reading, then A would be on right side of head, B on left side of approximate, approximate second dorsal, because fibers going to heart come from right side of head and cross over at approximate sixth cervical level. If we desired a right lung test reading for tuberculosis of that lung, then A would be on left side of head, B on right side of approximate fourth dorsal, because fibers going to lung come from left side of head and cross over at approximately sixth cervical level. Leg electrodes placement, A on localized spot on head, B on either leg on either left or right leg, either above on thigh or below on calf. It will be interesting to check contrast between record graphs secured with, plate, with circuit placement as against former way. Each time a new change of technique was made, a record of cases was kept so that when series of graph wave patterns of same case on several cases by comparison were placed on study bulletin board, comparisons and conclusions noted could be recorded. Producer, product, byproduct, steps in study, study in approximations. Medicine has been and still is study in seeing, listening to, grouping, prescribing, and cutting out byproducts. Chiropractic has been and still is a study, understanding, interference with releasing resistance to the producer innate mental impulse normal supply of nerve force flow. If chiropractors could and would discriminate between these principles and practices, chiropractic would be all chiropractic and chiropractors would be 100%. Too many are kanakas, half-breeds, mixed breeds, some of one or some of another usually much of one and little of other. An analysis of minds at works at work in preserving, protecting, and defending chiropractic will prove their research has always been to know and make free the producer. Elimination of variables. From what sources come variables? From the most unexpected conditions. Here's one we found today, 1937, from which now on will be eliminated. The case lies on a table in one shielded and grounded lab laboratory. Instrument is set up and does its recording in another laboratory. Between these two laboratories is an open space. <clears throat> in each wall of each laboratory is the copper screening, with an open space between iron sheeting so that technicians in one booth may communicate with technicians in another. In other words, sound can pass from one lab into another. As record is being made, paper unrolls and roll of blank paper is then recorded with graph wave patterns. As, is, as it rolls from ink writing attachment, it rolls into a basket below. Sometimes this paper crackles at paper will, as paper will, especially when it folds up in miscellaneous ways in the basket. We found that this crackling sound passed out of one laboratory into another and was heard by patient lying on table, and actually changed the brain wave pattern graph of channel one. Observing this, it was made 
a subject of special test and verified. Inasmuch as sound enters brain and is heard by brain only, only brain channel wave pattern was changed. This became another variable to be eliminated in perfecting the pattern graphs. An observer little realizes detail to eliminate variables in our research work, with patient lying on table with electrodes ready for energy pickup. We click on eight possible electric switches successively. Between time, we are ready and recording actually begins. Each of the eight clicks is loud enough to be heard by patient, to be recorded in his or her mind, and to upset equilibrium of constant we want to record. As a noise, it enters ear, is recorded by mind, and to that extent is a variable which upsets our constant. We endeavored to secure silent switches, which we could turn on and off with complete silence. None such is made. The problem was placed before one of the large electrical manufacturing concerns, which the with the result that it wasn't long until they made eight absolutely silent switches, which are now installed. We eliminated another variable and establish more firmly our constant. In electroencephaloneuromentipographic work, <clears throat> it is necessary to have a constant source of voltage supply in, on first stages of amplification. <clears throat> Equipment for supplying this has not been available in the past on account of inability to secure perfect filtering, so it has been necessary to depend on batteries. Internal resistance of batteries changes with use. Also, any impurities in metals and chemicals used in the construction of the batteries will cause them to become internally noisy. In ordinary lines of work, this is not even a factor, but in our work, it is a serious variable which must be eliminated. A battery may become noisy shortly after its installation, and this noise will be reflected in our records being superimposed upon carrier waveform picked up from subject under observation. In speaking to one of our radio engineers, he mentioned he had succeeded in constructing a power supply unit with extremely low internal resistance and with perfect filtering and voltage regulation. We asked him to check on the possibility of constructing units of sufficient size to operate the electroencephalo neuromintempograph. In the event we encounter difficulty in making use of this equipment, we can shunt batteries with high-capacity condensers, very materially overcoming the effect of noisy batteries. Following news statement shows what happened. Quote, Aurora Borealis and Earth currents knock out wires in Tri-Cities for three hours. End quote. Without giving Tri-City residents a glimpse of the beauties of its celestial display, a particularly effective Aurora Borealis Saturday generated earth currents that hampered wire messages and slowed up service for about three hours between 6 and 9 a.m. Clouds and fog were too heavy for the northern lights to make themselves manifest to the eye, but telegraph companies felt the full effect of the earth currents. Western Union officials stated the disturbance was first noted at midnight, then cleared up. <clears throat> About 6 a.m., it came back again and manifested itself by making the positive and negative poles on the main line repeater lines 
so uneven that communication was greatly hampered. This was overcome to an extent by using two and three wire method. Short distance messages were handed easily, but the main line circuits involving the long jump of 300 miles to Omaha and vice versa were considerably unbalanced. Messages from Chicago to the west were routed through St. Louis to escape the earth currents which seemed more apparent through central and eastern Iowa. There were some interference with the service felt intermittently during the day, but while service was slowed up, the telegraph companies were able to keep were able to keep business going. End quote. Reference: The Davenport Democrat and Leader, January 23, 1938. Further, story also show, following story also shows further developments as of sunspot influences. Quote. Why should anyone think sunspots can change the opinions of the masses, causing them to favor a war at, at one time, which they would resist at others? The man in the street would not know there were any sunspots if the astronomer did not tell him and give him the chance to verify it. There are two kinds of, ev of evidence. First, that sunspots could have such an effect, and second, circumstantial evidence that they actually do have it. Beyond that, there are probably probably other, though not definitely known direct effects on the nervous system. One possibility, suggested Professor Stetson, is that the different character of the sunlight at times of many sunspots, and times a few of them, may change the number or character of electrified ions floating invisibly in the air breathed by human beings. Some physiologists believe that this might change the physical or mental condition of average persons, although this is a subject still but little investigated. Reference, Chicago Herald and Examiner, January 23, 1938. Quote, and Television, April 1938, contains article titled, What Sunspots Do to Short Waves? We quote, a surprising and very important fact was that shortwave transmission between New York and Buenos Aires, or in a north and south direction, was practically not affected at all. The effect of the magnetic storms on the long east and west wire telegraph circuits, especially in the northern part of the United States and western Canada. It is to induce abnormal currents in these circuits, which fre frequently burn out apparatus by certain points and in general interfere with regular service." End quote. The vital factor for us to know is that on this particular day we were conducting work in the electroencephalo neuromintempograph shielded and grounded booths. Did they shield and ground did they shield and ground at all, partially or completely? The records taken that day showed they were as perfect as on any previous day, showing that the external surge did not penetrate the booths, proving for the first real external test that our booths do shield and ground out any and all external forces. The best form of electro to date was a spiral, co spiral coiled wire in a gravity weighted holder. <clears throat> it had variables such as occasionally the small fine wire six one-thousandths of an inch in diameter would get bent and holder, or because of gravity weight, holder would be subject to movement as individual breathed, which produced inhalation and exhalation graph wave patterns, or was subject to slipping out of contact. 
<clears throat> to prevent these variables, we devised a flat celluloid disc which was placed in contact with area from which reading was picked up, disc being taped to body. This obviated movement variables, for if patient moved, he moved the disc with him, rather than separate and independent of him. Disc was small and circular. On upper and superior surface was a small flat bit of metal, which acted as a spring, with a constant pressure downward. On distal tip of flat metal was secured a tungsten, sharp-pointed needle. Needle passed through a circular opening in disc, its point coming in contact with surface of skin beneath. This small flat bit of metal had an insertion pocket at its center end, into which our pickup wire was placed, one ready to make contact for our pickup record. This device retained needle point contact, did away with slipping off skin of gravity weight device, obviated the variables of bent wires and slipping electrodes. Experimental research comparison tests proved tungsten needle a better metal for pickups than was wire. Being taped to body, it gave continuous contact with perfect reproduction of energy flow in graph wave pattern. Another step up in efficiency with use of flat disc electrodes taped on body was that we could place them with a greater varying location for tests than was possible with gravity weight electrodes. With ladder, we could place them only upon a superior surface. With discs, we could place some on back, with patient lying on back. Being taped on, this increased our pickup value materially, materially, increasing latitude of location of pickup. On March 23, 1938, we succeeded in eliminating another variable in our electroencephalo neuromintempograph work. <clears throat> The loud hum from the power supply of Bay 2 is now completely eliminated, and patient will no longer be aware of power turned on or off. It is well known that exposures of living human bodies to repeated doses of x-rays inject some unknown abstract into that body, which, if repeated often enough, would eventually break down functional and physical continuity of structure and produce burns, etc. To prevent this, Cases are permitted to dissipate this x-ray quantity after exposures, being before repeating. For this reason, in our clinic, we take comparative x-rays every two weeks. Upon entering clinic, each case is exposed to 10 spinographs, including two 8 by 36 full length. In recording mental and nervous impulses of a living human body with electroencephalo neuromintempograph, we are acutely aware that we are working with infinitesimal currents. Any external artificial force injected into that living body disturbs and upsets the normal and natural quantity functioning equilibrium of nervous energy, either stimulating or inhibiting its action. Till March 23, 1938, Executive Secretary of Clinic and scheduling systematic arrangement of multiple examinations laboratory tests, etc. Place them at whatever time convenient to staff members, case, etc. Sometimes x-rays would be taken before electroencephalo neuromintempograph graphs. Other times electroencephalo neuromintempograph would precede x-rays, etc. On and after this date, 
instructions were given to eliminate the variable which was artificially made by taking all electroencephalo neuromintipograph graphs before x-ray spinographs are made, thus getting a more nearly accurate record of the internal energetic constant of case. This rule was made to apply at all times during stay of case. Once this idea became conscious to us, it was an easy matter to prove it by taking electroencephalo neuromintipographs records of cases before and after, reversing order, some with x-rays before electroencephalo neuromintipograph records of cases, and others with electroencephalo neuromintipograph before x-rays. Difference was plain and distinctly obvious. The extensive interval between April 4th and October 28th, 1938, saw little done in the way of improving equipment. The bugs had been quite thoroughly licked. Time, thought, and attention were given to experimental and practical tests, interpretations, and development of understanding of records made. On October 28th, 1938, we made another change in equipment. We secured and tested duralumin pens on the electroencephalo neuromintimpograph in place of the stainless steel type. The reason for this being the lighter weight of duralumin. The stainless steel pen weighs <clears throat> the stainless steel pens weigh 0 0.2037 gram. The duralumin 0 0.0631 gram, which roughly gives us a 66 and two-thirds percent reduction in weight. Reducing the inertia of the coil and pen system to this extent will give a more accurate recording as less energy is required to start the pen, plus the fact that pen will not carry over past the true energy level indication. These questions frequently arise. If a nerve does not carry a flowing mental impulse current, could it do so if it had the current to carry? If a nerve has pressure, resistance, and interference on its path, and its quantity of flowing mental impulse current is reduced because thereof, is that nerve substance incapacitated in carrying capacity because of the lack of keeping that nerve, or nerves built up because of the lack of current to keep it built up? If the nerve does not carry full capacity in transmitting current from brain to body, or body to brain, is it because of a normal nerve not receiving its normal supply quantity? Or is it because the nerve itself could not carry the normal quantity if it received same to carry? Obviously, a copper wire will carry electricity. Its potential has a carrying capacity. If the wire is not carrying any electricity, it is because of two factors. One, there is no current to carry. Or two, the circuit has been broken in some of the many ways, such as a broken wire a switch off, the wire itself damaged in some way. The same questions we here raise about a nerve could be equally well raised in relation to a wire, with the exception that the wire is an inanimate composition of dead matter and does not possess the inherent living recuperative and rebuilding process if injured. We hear a great deal in neurophysiology and in neuro neurological pathology about the broken down nerve tissue structure itself. Microscopic slides are made of sections which seemingly prove the case of a breakdown in nerve tissue structure, making it impossible for nerve or nerves to carry a capacity load. 
if these conditions do exist, does it destroy the transmitting value of a nerve or nerves? If broken down nerve tissue structure can and does exist, does this destroy the transmitting value of a nerve or nerves? If a nerve or nerves can and do carry their capacity load, can, can they do this in spite of apparent destruction or breakdown nerve tissue structure, destroyed in their tissue continuity, notwithstanding what neurophysiology and neuropathology microscopic slides seemingly present as evidence of such tissue destruction? To answer these questions involved an important issue and became an important avenue of research. It is obvious that if a nerve is under compression pressure, restriction pressure, torque constriction pressure, or cicatricial pressure, then it has an interference with resistance to transmission, which does interfere with carrying capacity inferior to that point of pressure, between point of pressure and point of expression at periphery of nerve. Any electrode pickup of potential with electroencephaloneuromatipograph at any point inferior to point of pressure would prove a reduction below par in normal flow. This proves just what it proves, that capacity flow is below normal. But does it prove that the nerve could not, would not, carry normal capacity if it had a normal capacity of mental impulse flow to carry? If a normal capacity of mental impulse flow was sent to and into that nerve, would it be capable of carrying it? Is there a condition of broken down tissue nerve structure which would and does require considerable reconstruction work to be done to that nerve or to those nerves before they could carry normal capacity if, as, and when the pressure has been removed? There seems to be a way of proving the answers. Take a case where manifest paralysis exists, where muscles cannot be edu educationally controlled in functional action because of, a reduced, because of a reduced flow of mental impulse capacity going to muscles. Place the electrodic hookup on that case with the electroencephalo-neuromentempograph. Take a norm record of graph wave pattern as is. Then, still with hookup in same situ as in former test, throughout five channels from brain to body, shoot a small shock of external artificial electricity into and through the lowest of those channels, producing a changed graph wave pattern, thereby gaining information of its flowing value by comparison through the five channels. Electrically shocked par paralyzed muscles to secure reactions or reflexes is not new but it is new to record graph wave patterns of a before and an after, one without and the other with, in a continuous record, portraying, portraying for study the volume of flow throughout nerve circuit from brain to body and brain to body, and note contrast to prove carrying capacity of nerves rather than see muscular jerks. The purpose, objective, and method enlarge the scope of study. Shooting the shock through the paralyzed muscle will produce a difference in graph wave patterns between normal and abnormal. It will prove whether paralysis is destruction of tissue or of transmission alone. If graph wave pattern has materially changed, showing increased carrying capacity of external 
artificial electricity over the norm graph wave pattern, then it will prove that the nerve or nerves can, will, and do carry increased load that such external artificial electricity was expected to produce. This proves that the nerve or nerves can carry an increased load and that nothing is wrong with normal carrying capacity of nerves. This further proves that if, as, and when the normal mental impulse supply can and does get to and into those nerves via the adjustment of vertebral subluxation with its releaser of interference, the nerves are capable of delivery of load to muscles for execution into function as periphery of those nerves. To carry on these tests, dry cell batteries were hooked into series, controlled by rheostat to control volume, which was reduced to but a trifle over normal carrying capacity of a nerve or nerves. These batteries were located in mechanical second shielded and grounded booth, outside of first or pickup booth. Wires leading from first booth to second were shielded to prevent leakage of electricity into shielded and grounded booth. Snap buttons were placed on peripheral ends of electrode lead wires, which were snapped onto ends of electrode wires. An extension push button was arranged in circuit, which was run over opposite sides of booth alongside of indicator push button channel, so that operator could control both simultaneously. When he turned on electrical current with one push button for purpose of tests, he also simultaneously pushed push button indicator on indicator channel 3 and indicated exactly when he turned current on, thus recording point, place, and time for purpose of identifying itself by comparison with norm record on the ink writer oscillograph graph wave pattern. The interesting feature in these tests was to observe and note the travel of increased current from point of introduction of electrical current up to and through nerves to brain, etc., and whether or not such was a reality. Two series of tests were made. First, purely experimental in ordinary and usual people, and then followed upon a selected type of actual cases in which the problem existed for which tests were made, typical for that purpose, once the practicability was proven in experimental work. The voltage regulator recently installed on the electroencephalo neuromantipograph will maintain a constant voltage output at 115 volts, plus or minus 1%. Therefore, its ability to eliminate the variables introduced by changing line voltage makes it a virtual necessity in a well-equipped laboratory. Line voltages are subject to fluctuations of approximately 10%. This type of voltage regulator could also be used to on x-ray machines to eliminate the effect of varying filament voltage. The device is entirely automatic and has no moving parts. There are no adjustments to be made and no maintenance is required. The output voltage will be stabilized to plus or minus 1% at any load, from no load to full load. The regulating action is practically instantaneous. The time required for the device to adjust itself to new voltage or load conditions being so short that it is imperceptible with an ordinary voltmeter. Thank you for joining me for another episode. I'm Dr. Arthur Plessa. 
you may send your questions and comments to me at aplesa80 at gmail.com. That's A-P-L-E-S-A-80 at gmail.com. I'll start incorporating your questions into the actual podcast rather than emailing them back individually. This way, others may also learn. This has been the Green Book Commentaries.